congratulations. Uh, uh, uncontrolled airspace is now uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the aviation podcast that has now served four American presidents. Um, we uh, <laughs> <laughs> served is is doing a lot of work there. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, pod, we've been the aviation podcast for four American presidents now. Uh, it's just like you know what they say in 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 uh, in government. Though someone will crow about the fact that they've been a government servant for so long that they've served like you know nineteen American presidents. Not that many. That's a lot. But you know what I mean. Um, someone will crow about you know uh, being around for a long time because I've served six American presidents. We've served four American presidents now. Holy moly. What is it? Fifteen years? I've even so, lost. Maybe someone should. I don't tell even them. remember our confirmation hearing. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, what's going on in aviation here? Let's see now. We got a couple of bits of follow-up here. Um, last episode, uh, we called attention to the fact that our friend Rod Rakick and uh, his compatriots in the Civil Air Patrol were helping to uh, deliver COVID vaccine to some remote areas up in the northern U.S. and. Uh, um, and, and Jeb, you um, um, uh, counseled people to be concerned about flying with dry ice in your aircraft and, and uh-huh. wise advice, good advice, and um, n- no one disagrees with that. But we did hear from Rod. Um, I got a text message from Rod uh, who wrote to me. Uh, he says, hey, Jack, thank you for the shout-out uh, on this week's episode. Our particular flight didn't carry dry ice. The coolers used a different technology. But I did want to respond to the concern Jeb brought up. The thermal shipper being deployed by Pfizer uses high-performance insulation materials and has been measured to off-gas a total of 85.67 grams per hour when exposed to ambient conditions of plus 20 centigrade. Uh, for, com- for comparison, Rod goes on, uh, you can expect each pilot to exhale about 53 grams of carbon dioxide per hour. Uh, a crew of two puts out more CO2 into the cabin than does a single box of this cargo. He says you'd have to carry a whole lot of these thermal shippers before there was a risk. Uh, and then he includes a couple. He says this is a picture of the thermal sh- Oh, actually, Actually, he asked me to redact that picture. I couldn't put that one. Uh, there was a there was a copyright issue. I understand. Um, but he did include a couple pictures of uh, of their mission, um, and including some of the uh, thermal shippers that are being used there. So, uh, um, so uh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good. So that's pretty interesting. And, and you know, I mean, it just kind of it's it's just sort of part and parcel of the fact that a lot of smart people have thought about this stuff, and. Uh, um, you know, even though the the vaccination processes have not a, quite as smooth a start as we maybe dreamed, um, they're getting it together. P- changes are being made, and uh, uh, people are thinking this through. So, anyways, yeah. um, long overdue, but yeah. So, anyways, Eight, eighty-five point six seven—that's a little over three ounces. Okay, um, but then yeah, but then he says that a human being breathes out fifty-three grams so uh um, i don't know it's compelling as i you know i trust rod rod's pretty smart about this stuff so uh um anyways so that's uh and, and once again thank you to rod and thank you to all the civil air patrol people um uh, for uh, this project and uh, um thank you to all the uh, folks who are out there trying to help us through these weird days so anyways yeah. um any, any comment on this any follow-up no any, uh, no i uh, um it's all good information. Yeah, yeah. So, 
And then another bit of follow-up. This is the uh, Jack. You know, it's like, you know, it's just like people. I'm terrible. I, I try. I really want to pronounce things correctly. I, Lord knows I have a hard enough time. It's your New England accent. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it is. All right? I have a hard enough time pronouncing uh, so-called American words properly, you know, American names and whatnot. Um, and, and then, you know, given that we have a, a, a small but, but, uh, but passionate international audience, I am occasionally faced with pronouncing foreign words, and I usually mess it up, and I apologize. I want to do it right, but I'm just... Imp- so I've been fighting with the name of this airport down in, uh, in Australia, uh, where the uh, near-miss happened. And the, st- the near-miss story has just been lost. <laughs> it's no longer important. That was the story originally. Now it's all about Jack mispronouncing the name of the airport. Um, and uh, I find that I heard actually in the last week I heard from two different listeners, um, who, who kind of in a very friendly way, kind of like said enough is enough we got to teach Jack how to say this word, <laughs> okay? And and so one of them uh, forwarded to me a video of a little mini documentary where they were talking about the airport where where local Australians were saying the name of the city over and over again, and uh, and then another listener actually picked up his phone and selfie recorded himself saying the name of the airport repeatedly um, and, and giving me a little, a little uh, lesson on how to pronounce it. So it's, it's, uh, it's Morabin, I think, I hope, I'm trying. Oh, man. Okay. Morabin, all right? I, I, I'm not dealing with the tweets or the email. So yeah, Morabin. You, you all right? I listened to, to the do, video yeah. of the do- little mini documentary, and I'm pretty sure that's what they were saying, Morabin. Um, and, then, so, and then listener um, Falcon124, I'm going to open these tweets actually so I can see their more accurate name here. Um, so, uh, oh, Falcon124 is Grant McCarran, our friend from, uh, from Australia. Um, and, uh, oh, that's actually, he wasn't the Morabin thing. He was something else. Because there's many words that I'm mispronouncing. Um, anyways, Morabin, um, one of them, and I kind of phonetically am spelling it the word more, and then ah, A-H is the emphasis, and then bin, Morabin. But another listener said, it's kind of like Mu-Robin. Is another so it's something like Murabin or Marabin, um, but it's, it's something like that. So let the emails begin. Um, there we go. That's you, but, but direct them to Hodgson. H O D G S O N. They uh, yeah okay. They seem to find me. So yeah. Um, uh, all kidding aside, I want to do this right. I mean absolutely no disrespect. I try to, but uh, just a. Uh, um, you know, it's a failure. The other thing is that um, I thought I was being cool by referring to our friends from Australia as Aussies, and someone pointed out to me that, no, 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 Jack, that's not, it's Aussie. They're Aussies, um, which I kind of knew that, but I was getting it wrong. So so you're having a day. I'm having a day. I'm having a day. So, uh, so uh, hi to the, the Aussies down in Moorabbin, and, uh, and, and to all of our friends uh, around the world listening to this podcast. Uh, don't hesitate to set me straight, but it's me, and I can't make any promises other than I'll try. I will try. So there's that. Um, and, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, let's talk about airplanes. Let's talk about airplanes. Well, no, Moorabbin is an airport. It's apparently the... I would the near-miss thing got lost, like, you know, oh, yeah, 20, I know. 20, That's 20 like, minutes ago, or, yeah, or 20, 20 episodes 20 ago. episodes, not quite 20, but a long time ago. Yeah, the, the, the near-miss thing is an old story. Now it's all about Jack not being able to talk. Uh, 
I want to go to this airport, though. I mean, everything I've heard since, you know, people have been filling me in is it sounds like a really cool GA airport, um, airport in general, but particularly a GA airport down there in, in Australia. So, uh, yeah, I want to go there. Yeah. One, one of these days. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and then by, hopefully by then I'll know how to say, uh, say pronounce all these, these Aussie terms. These it Austra- would be embarrassing if you showed up and did not know how to pronounce the name of the town. I don't know. We, we ugly Americans. I, I, I got to figure that our friends around the world are used to the fact that our, we ugly Americans are just, you know, a lost cause. I, I hope we're not a lost cause. Doesn't mean, yeah, they, get, yeah. doesn't mean they accept it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, and so anyways, keep setting me straight. I, I try to learn. I try. I, I listen and I try to learn. Well, other than you know butchering the English language, what have you been up to since we talked last? I don't know. You know the the usual stuff. It continues to be Groundhog Day movie thing, where the same day over and over again. It's getting a little bit different for me because I think I've referenced the fact that um, I, I do have a, a finally my 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 old day job, which used to involve. Um, you know, public gatherings, uh, conferences, and trade shows um, has uh, has f- found a project for me that involves remote d- stuff. So I'm, I'm I'm doing a little bit of work um, over the next uh, uh, near future about. Uh, so that's kind of keeping me busy, and uh, it's really weird to. It's like it's like, wait a minute, I actually got to go back to work. It's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, 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 it's been shocking to not have any income for the, the better part of a year. Um, and I've always talked about how I want to go back to work. And then now suddenly I have an opportunity to go back to work and it's kind of like, oh, wait a minute. I mean, I actually have to do something today. I, I actually have appointments. I have meetings scheduled for, the, for, for that day. I know. I, it's, I, I had a conversation yesterday with a client about um, doing some traveling and, and doing some work, starting, starting that back up kind of thing and i was like you know i don't know if i really want to do this yeah, but uh, i know it's like yeah I'm, I'm starting to understand the appeal of this retirement thing you know <laughs> and uh so but, you know it's it's you know a good time and it's a good cause and and i enjoy the people i enjoy the event and, and that kind of thing so uh uh we'll do it for sure yeah yeah um, the other big excitement for me up here is that New Hampshire, I, I alluded earlier to the fact that how uh, the, the powers that be are, are are adjusting on the fly to a lot of the COVID stuff and the vaccination stuff. And one of the changes up here in New Hampshire is that in the next couple of weeks, I will become, el- assuming there's a supply available, I will become eligible to get vaccinated. Yeah. And uh, and so I am looking forward with uh, with great excitement to the possibility of getting vaccinated which i you know it doesn't end the whole thing but really moves me into a new phase well, I, I live in florida so only god knows what's, yeah, what's no, going to i'm sorry to hear that i uh yeah um so uh so that's the other thing that's happening for me otherwise it's just winter it's cold it was like 17 degrees here this morning i just hate it but it's as someone has pointed out it's a self-inflicted wound so i can't really I will complain. I complain every year. Long-time listeners know. And they just you're not, you're talk, it's not Celsius, was it? Uh, well, you know, when you get down into those low numbers, it's the same number one way. It's like, you know. Well, here's a suggestion to our listeners who occasionally and correctly correct our mispronunciations. Uh, make it an audio file, a small one. The wrong pronunciation followed by the right pronunciation and zap it off to Jack. Yeah, yeah. Then he can hear it, and then we'll get it right. I know. And and I, although we didn't play it live here during the recording, for all we know, in post-production, I, I, uh, I uh, inserted the, uh, the uh, listener's lesson 
you know, on, on how to pronounce it. I might have done that, actually. That's, that, if I did it, that was a good idea, Jack. Yeah. It was a great idea, yeah, yeah. if you did it. Yeah, um, okay. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I know. I know. Not that you guys will ever hear it because you never listen well, to the podcast. <laughs> you. If you'll report back to us on the outcome, that would be great. I don't know why I should start now. Anyways, hey, listen, uh, I don't know why, but uh, if those of you who like what we're doing here in this podcast, uh, uh, please consider supporting us with a financial donation. Uh, as little as a few dollars a month really helps uh, in enabling us to do this podcast, paying expenses and kind of keeping us going. Um, you can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal. Um, and uh, I want to thank a couple of uh, recent tip, t- tip PayPal tip jar uh, supporters, Mark L., Ed K., Don, John D., and Michael S. Thank you so much to them and everyone who's helped us out through PayPal. Um, or you can become an automatic monthly supporter of the podcast via Patreon. Uh, thank you to some of our, our recent Patreon supporters, Antonio S., Don M., Sergey Z., Stephen D., Kenneth M., and to everyone who supports us on Patreon and through PayPal. You folks are the best. Thank you so very, very much. And just from sending us good vibes. And for sending us, you know, we, we love the financial donations, truly, and I hope that they continue. We, we also, I think I equally like the email, all right, yeah, you know, yeah. all, uh, and especially sending me audio, sending me video and audio was just great. I remember, remember back in the early days of this podcast, we had a telephone yeah. We had a telephone message line you could actually call. This was back in the days before it was, you know, these days it's so easy for people to record audio and video and, and, and share it to, you know, so um, it wouldn't be necessary now. But back in the early days of this podcast, we had a telephone line, hotline, that you could call and leave us a message. And we used them in a lot of different episodes back in those days. Four presidents, and we predate the smartphone revolution. <laughs> we do. Holy moly, we're old. Uh, for, for more information on how you can provide an automatic monthly support for the podcast, you can uh, look that up at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. You can get all this information by clicking uh, in the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. What else here? Let's see now. Uh, oh, so listen, you know what? Um, aviation is moving forward all the time. Technology advances. There are just new ideas. And here's an idea, brand new. No one's ever thought of this before. Airplanes with propellers are the future. You see this story? I, I thought this was interesting. <laughs> the, uh, this is, I'm sorry, I'm opening the link on my, on my screen here. Where'd it go here? Uh, so uh, I'm assuming this is a recent story, all right? It's, it, it, I got it out of a tweet from a Twitter account called UAC Russia. New Russian regional turboprop, the IL-114-300, successfully made another flight today. Um, and so there, it's, obviously the program's in its test phase, um, but, but uh, they are building a new turboprop airliner. And so, you know, cool. I, and then, I, I'm kind of goofing around here, but I'm, I'm really kind of seriously curious whether or not, have there been some breakthroughs in, you know, in propeller techno- technology or something, or, or, the, or the marketplace for airliners? For example, regional jets are very popular these days um, because apparently they've decided that that number of seats works well for airline travel, for scheduling, you know, for running an airline business. Um, have they also have they also discovered that a turboprop is a more efficient way to propel that size airliner? Go ahead. Who was about to talk? Well, there's long been this debate uh, when uh, 
Bombardier, originally Canada there, started working on the uh, uh, regional jets, of mm-hmm. which there are hundreds flying Yes, now. very popular, very popular. The, uh, yeah. the debate centered on the economics of, and what where the critical break was in seating and load factor to make a jet as economical as a, uh, a turboprop with comparable seating capacity. Uh, in those days, we had, and we still have, the ATR-72. We had the Saab Fairchild uh, uh, 340. Uh, airliners from Embraer. Embraer? Yeah. I'll get a... I'll get a pronunciation guide for the, no, 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 our no, friends in Brazil. You're in good company. Uh, it's okay. It, oh, little Fairchild. Oh, what were they? The Model Twenty or the Twenty Three? A uh, little non-pressurized job. Beach, oh, the, uh, the 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 metros. What's that? The metros, the swear engine yeah. metros. Yeah, 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 yeah. San Antonio uh, sewer pipe. Yeah. Beach had the uh, 1900. Uh, which had more appendages as, as aerodynamic surfaces than Medusa had snakes on her head. Uh, so this is not a new idea, but if you jump from this into the uh, jet airliner field, you'll find that there's a line of engines built now that use a, a geared front fan that turns far slower than the existing uh, uh, jet engines. And in doing that, it creates more thrust, it's more efficient, it burns less fuel, and it's quieter. So we keep flip-flopping back and forth on this. Uh, GE's working on new turboprop engine. It's going One of them's going to go on the new uh, uh, pressurized Cessna. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to see this go back and forth I, I expect for our natural lives because propeller technology gets better, fan technology gets better. Uh, and this engine in the photograph here looks suspiciously like a Pratt & Whitney Model 100 engine, uh, which was a straight-through engine, unlike the PT-6, which is a reverse-flow engine. Uh, the air comes in one way, takes a 180-degree turn, and goes into the hot section uh the pw 100 series it's a straight through path like a jet engine with a uh a geared propeller turning at slow like 2200 2300 rpm where it gets better bite and makes less noise so there's going to be propellers for as long as there's people that want little airplanes uh it's where you need to get really high to go really fast that the propellers start to run out of steam, no pun intended. But the big fans on the uh, high-bypass jet engines, they're just getting into their prime when they get above 31,000 feet. Uh, propellers, 31,000 feet pushing the limit on how high most of them can go. Uh, I hadn't it, that, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I hadn't really thought about that. That it's there's an al- altitude issue there as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, some some flights, and I'll t- use Wichita and Dallas as an as an example that's running today. Uh, that's flown mostly by CRJs, Canada Air Regional Jets. Uh, it doesn't have time or distance to get above about twenty seven thousand, twenty eight thousand feet. Mm-hmm. It takes off from Wichita, climbs up there, levels off. Gets a handoff to Fort Worth, starts down. Uh, but Wichita to Chicago, that's going to get up into the 30s because it's more than twice as far away, has more time to climb, and then the higher it gets, the less fuel it burns. Right. It, right. It, just like with our piston engines. Yeah. Jeb, you were trying to jump in. There. Well, not really trying to jump in. Um, a couple of, a couple of things. One, the Wikipedia page for this particular airplane. Um, um, better better way to put this. First introduced in um, uh, 1998. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, first placed into service in 1998. So far, there have been 20 of them built, which is not a stellar performance. Uh, the uh, the picture that you're looking at uh, is of the Dash 300 version, which is a shortened fuselage, shorter version of the the base airframe. Um, they're all powered by um, the hell is it? Um, uh, t- you know, turboprop engines, obviously, but uh, um, the uh, engine is called the Illusion IL one fourteen dash one hundred. Well, I'm sorry, that's the that's the airframe type. Um, uh, the uh, but you're saying it does appear to be a Russian designed engine. Well, no. What I'm saying, I'm le- reading reading a different paragraph here. Uh, there, in in uh, seven, 2017, there was an MOU between Pratt and Whitney Canada and uh-huh. Illusion uh, to provide two PW127H engines uh, to restart the program. It's not at all clear to me um, what engine this particular aircraft has in it the one that's in the in the photo that you um you, that you linked us to yeah uh but it doesn't um it, it, i would not um uh, i would not automatically say that it's the it's the uh russian engine or the or the pnwc okay. but yeah. uh, the other thing going on here too just to pick up on dave's comments uh is the market that we're serving and um one of the things with RJs is uh, they allow airlines to serve what I would call a long, thin market. Um, Charlotte to Sarasota, for example. Um, try that in a, in a turboprop, and you're just going to anger everybody. Yeah. Uh, because of the speed, the, uh, sometimes the noise, but generally just the, the comfort levels available. Um, the RJs have the, uh, the allure, if you will of presenting to uh, uh, the passenger that, you know, pretty much a, a standardized uh, uh, experience from uh, an RJ up to uh, uh, even a, a 777 as far as what is the, what the, the equipment is in the cabin, the seats and the, uh, the upholstery and, and things like that. Uh, you can certainly do that with turboprops, but the turboprops going to generally have uh, either... Uh, um, uh, single uh, certainly going to be a single aisle aircraft. It may, you may only have one row of seats on either side of the aisle, uh, as opposed to a two or you know, two or, or or more in some RJs. 
Um, it's a lot of it is just a matter of perception, and a lot of it also is is what um, is going to be efficient for that particular market, yeah. and okay. what kind of customers are trying to attract. Um, I'm not sure. Well, I, I can pretty much say this that as far as major airlines in the U.S. is concerned, none of them are operating uh, turboprops these days. Okay. They may have. Um, commuter affiliates, regional uh, affiliates that are operating turboprops, but there's not that many of them in the U.S. anymore. Okay. Well, what about on airplanes like WeFly? Uh, has there been any interesting advancement in propeller technology? You know, every now and then you see different shaped propellers, propellers that have more curve to them, propellers that have more spin, um, um, twist to them. Um, is, is that a thing, or, or is that just, you know, people messing around? Oh, that's a thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it, 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 the uh, technology that they use to make those compound curve scimitar-like blades on uh, 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 oh, who's making them? Uh, Hartzell yeah. uh, it has a whole line. Uh, they're composite props. There's a steel core uh, that the structure is bonded to. The rest of it is uh, foam and carbon fiber with stainless steel leading edges to uh, protect against abrasion or foreign object damage. Uh, and what's the benefit of that kind of a, of a different shaped propeller? It gets, are, gets more bite. And, and, but, but, okay, oh, it certainly gets a different bite. I mean, so you're saying it gets more thrust per horsepower or something yes. like that? Okay. Um, does it change any of the, like, the, I don't know what. What else does it change? Does it change the noise dynamics? Does oh, it big time. The, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, um, because with these new shapes, they've been able to go to smaller diameter propellers. And as you get, as you reduce the diameter of the propeller, the tip speed at any given RPM goes yeah. down. Are they, are, they, are, they, are they priced such that they're a reasonable, you know, up, economical upgrade? And are uh, they even upgradable? That's my next question. I mean, have they been approved for, could Jeb put one of these funky propellers on, on the Debbie? There are props that uh, Hartzell makes that composite that have STCs for uh, retrofit. It's the same way with that uh, European prop maker whose uh, name suddenly escapes me. MT. Uh, sorry? MT. That's it. MT props. Uh, Macaulay, they've, they've got an ore in this, in this water, too. Uh, and it's all around the idea of increased efficiency and lower noise. Yeah. As okay. noise is the biggest complaint from people who live near airports. And my biggest complaint with people who live near airports <laughs> is that they were silly enough to move near an airport where they knew there was going to be that kind of noise. Yeah. Yeah. And then have the temerity to complain about it. I know. I know. Jeb, this we, it, this yeah. Russian airplane didn't go all that fast, didn't get all that high. Uh, right. 6,500 feet, uh, about 180 miles an hour on that test flight. So uh, it's not breaking any records. Yeah, but, it, you know, it, it is a test flight, and, and that's okay. Yeah. I, I think one thing that a lot of people um, either don't know or overlook when talking about propellers is that a propeller is an airfoil, basically, just like the engine. I mean, sorry, just like the wing. Mm-hmm. Um and it has an optimum angle of attack. It has optimum uh, uh, characteristics that uh, 
um, need to be respected if you're going to get the desired performance. Um, that's why we see multi-blade computer uh, computers, multi-blade propellers, um, like on the the latest model of the C-130 Hercules. Uh, I think they're up to six blades on those now, uh, as opposed to the three blades of the original. Um, whether it's an all-metal propeller or, as as Dave talks about, uh, a composite com- propeller, they're certainly lighter than they used to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, I could put a, a Hartzell Scimitar uh, on the Debonair. Um, it would be a little bit more expensive than just buying a normal straight blade propeller outright. Uh, I don't know if there'd be trade-in or anything like that, but uh, f- speaking for myself, I'm I'm quite happy with the propeller I have, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. So yeah. I'm, I'm not just going to go out and spend ten grand just going to put, know, put a new you, put a new de- a propeller on it. You know what they say? Chicks dig scimitars, and uh, I don't know what that means. I'm I sorry, I, I, I don't know what that means either. That, I, that was I Hodgson, H O D G S O N. I hope that wasn't offensive to our to our our female listeners. I didn't mean it that way. I was just trying to make a goofy joke. Um, all right, I'm sure well, that I'm sure that this entire. On the, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. I was going to say you succeeded on the goofy part. Yeah, I know. Well, and I'm, I'm know. pretty sure that this entire segment won't appear in the final final version no, of, will. This is of the episode. No, the propeller. Yeah, okay. Anyways, all right. Well, this, per- this particular segment of the segment, let's put okay. it that way. All right. But, uh, uh, propellers have gone through a hell of a lot of evolution since World War II. They absolutely I mean, have. We've gone from steel hubs and uh, external actuators on constant speeds to aluminum and magnesium hubs with internal uh, mechanics uh, gone from uh, uh, into aluminum alloys that have helped reduce the rate. When we put a new Macaulay three-blade, it had just been STC'd for the Comanche. When we put it on our bird, uh, we took off the old two-blade Hartzell with a steel hub and steel clamps and put this Macaulay on with aluminum internal clamps and aluminum hub. We added a blade and only added five pounds to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And because of other work that we did on the airplane, the extra weight in the nose was welcome. Right. It raised our ability to carry luggage in the back and stay within CG. Uh, but it was significantly smaller in diameter. Uh, kind of shimitar blades and it accelerated to rotation speed a good 15 seconds faster than the old than the old prop did oh, interesting and okay. that was really significant for us on some of the airports where we stopped for fuel flying cross country right. and as i understand the history um you know uh, improvements to propeller design is not a new thing wasn't that one of the big breakthroughs that the wright brothers made was uh their sort of recognition that just what Jeb said, which is that a propeller is a wing, and uh, and they. Uh, I didn't say a propeller is a wing. I said a propeller is an airfoil. Is an airfoil, excuse me, and uh, and so I think they were they were designing propellers in their little wind tu- tunnel thing back then. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, well, it wasn't my, like they could run down to the FBO and order one somewhere. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, no, yeah, my, I'm sorry, my, Jeb. Last yeah, thought. Yeah, my thing with the Wright brothers is one of the one of perhaps their biggest breakthroughs was the engine. 
Oh, yeah. Well, they, they clearly made a lot of breakthroughs on a yeah. lot of technology. Yeah. The engine is one for sure. The propeller is um, certainly part of that, and, and wing warping or, or somehow yeah, changing control. the shape of the wing to, con- to, yeah. to maximize Adverse it. yaw. They, they, them recognizing that adverse yeah. yaw was a thing was a, was a breakthrough. So anyways, the Wright Brothers were genius. That's a whole other subject. Um, David, bail us out here. What are you up to? What's going on, David? How, how are you doing? Uh, well, I'm slowly wait, working my way through all the end-of-year paperwork. Uh, the uh, tax forms started coming in this week. My different clients uh, sending me mail that tells me how much they paid me this year so that I can in turn report that to our friends at the Eternal Revenue Service. Uh, been working on a batch of stories uh, and hope to wrap up the, the rest of the month's work uh, by end of business tomorrow so that I can start on the next month's work. It's like just like a treadmill. You know, the, it just keeps coming around and around and around. Yep. So, and I haven't had to uh, shovel snow since New Year's Day. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, what uh, a coinky-dink. I know, huh? Um, <laughs> you actually have friends at the IRS? My goodness. That's like, uh, oh, my goodness. Don't get, that's like, <laughs> yeah. let's make jokes about the NSA. That's safer than making jokes about the IRS. Um Cool. Cool. Sounds good. I'm going to let you make jokes about both agencies. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll let just, you. I'll, you're in charge of the joke making. I'm just uh, trying apparatus. to figure out how many. I'm just trying to figure out how many p- groups I can possibly piss, p- annoy, piss off in in one episode here. Um, I've got H- how's it going? <laughs> well, I've got Australians. Uh, I've got uh, uh, I've got Australians. I've got uh, women. I've got now the IRS and/or the NSA. Um, so I'm you know. Oh, speaking of IRS, I got a check in the mail this this week. For uh, what? Oh, this, for yeah, from Uncle Sugar. Oh, you got your stimulus check. Yeah, yeah. cool. And it cool. stimulated me. Let me yeah, tell you. Okay. Right. okay. I went la, 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 la. <laughs> I went out for dinner. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, off-field landing of the week here. Here we go. Uh, so this is down in your neighborhood, Jeb, right? Whitted Airport is, is that one that's out there at St. Pete, right? Right. We've been in there before. Yeah, we've, we've been in there for uh, all three of us. Uh, duh. Both yeah. of you have been there in there with me before. Yeah. So, yeah. Although we have to have a talk with the journalist who decided that it was okay to dateline their story simply Treasure Island. Uh, it's like well, how, how it, this, is, this is this is the Tampa Bay Times, so it's a local story, I and guess, and a lot yeah. of people reading the Tampa Bay Times know yeah. that Treasure Island is an island in the bay. Yeah, okay. Small plane makes emergency landing on Treasure Island Beach. Flight instructor and a student from Albert Albert Witted Airport landed safely after the engine gave out. The engine gave out. That's a technical term. Gave out what? Yeah, I know, right? Huh plane carrying a flight instructor and a student was forced to make an emergency landing on a strip of beach behind Treasure Island Resort Sunday morning. And pilot reported an engine problem while flying over the Gulf of Mexico, uh, according to Treasure Island Fire Rescue Chief William Bars. Landed behind the Billmar Beach Resort. My, my, my. Yeah. So uh, the uh, plane's engine... Close to the beach bar, I hope. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, we lived. Let's go to the bar. Uh, around 9 a.m., forced to make an emergency landing. Um, so apparently it was a training mission, and uh, 
the student was flying and they had problems. The instructor took over and set it down on the beach. And, yeah. uh, There's video and all kinds of nice stuff. There, yeah, so I, yeah. I haven't actually played the video. Is that, it, That's not video of the touchdown, is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, then I'm going to risk playing it here. Oh, see, it's making noise here. Stop it. It, it, it would have been a, <laughs> just too funny for words if the instructor's name had been Sandy Beach. Oh, okay. Uh, well, yeah. Okay, that's a pretty short roll out there, and uh, they hit something. I, the The story I think says the story or, says that they clipped the wingtip, clipped a sign of some sort. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Because it does spin. I guess, yeah, saw, skewed yeah. the airplane around uh, about forty five degrees. Uh, uh, they managed to keep it upright and keep all the wheels on the ground, which is yeah. a good thing. A pole then, the then end they of a water slide. Then they apparently steered it on the harder packed sand and it rolled a little bit further than it might have been. Now, otherwise. I'm surprised. Yeah, okay. It, so they, they landed. They chose not to land on. I, I always thought, wasn't, isn't that the rule of thumb that if you've got to land on a beach, you land on above the water line but on the dark sand because that's more likely to be firmer? Isn't that the rule of thumb? I don't know. I don't know that there is a rule of thumb on landing on beaches. Because I land in soft sand, it could get crazy. It could get hairy pretty quick in terms of like the wheels digging yeah. in and flipping yeah. over, and I don't know what happening. You know? Yeah. Um, if I was going to land on the beach, I might try to just land like you know in two feet of water or something like that. Um, uh, I'm going to ride off the airplane, but uh, probably going to ride off the airplane anyway. Yeah. Uh, really? You'd land in even in... Yeah, I, it I depends on it. how crowded it is. You know, it, well, there's people on the beach problem. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a whole other problem, but uh, um, I, I don't know. Um, um, if, it's just, if it's winter and people are just walking the beach, they're not in the water, yeah, I'd put it down in the water. But uh, uh, by this time, the airplane has thoroughly annoyed me. So I don't really care what happens to it. It belongs to the insurance company. That's right. You're really going to do this to me? All right, you're going in the ocean. Okay, you know, uh, we're we're not going to stand for this. But Let's see now. The uh, name of, according to the story, the name of the the instructor was Jenna Denae. and I'm looking for the name just to congratulate them for a good job. Yeah, well, yeah, well done, yeah. well done for uh, getting getting the airplane down on the ground safely. And uh, um, yeah, cool. See, yeah. airplanes land just fine. They don't do you, fall out of the sky. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on this, or is this just kind of a you know just, as routine as an engine failure can be? Pretty much as routine as an engine failure can be. It's um, 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 uh, Certainly would have been better if they hadn't hit the sign and spun the airplane around. They could have used it later, but um, um, you know, good outcome uh, for everybody. And uh, it, it, they didn't even have to clean the wheel pants. There weren't any. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty yeah. pretty typical these days of uh, flight school airplanes. Uh, they go through tires quickly. Uh, they need to be checked and filled frequently. So, no wheel pants, no hassle. Yeah, cool. Congratulations to them. Good job. Yep. Good job. Uh, so, you know me. If I see a story that says the X weirdest airplanes, it's going on the list. And here we go. We've got the, this is a, and and this is is an av. It, literally, it's called aviationhumor.net. And uh, so, you know, they they're not pretending this for this to be a serious list. But it, it's real airplanes. It's not like cartoons or anything like that. And and these are just they are a little bit unusual. I wouldn't call all of them weird. Um, so let's go down the list here. So the first one is some sort of lifting body, the Northrop HL10. Um, I, you know, I've seen this aircraft before. It looks very, you know, like single seat version of the space shuttle ish, right? Um, 
did this aircraft ever actually fly, or did it? Did it? Oh yeah. Did it fly? It, was it intended to fly to orbit, or was it just? What, what was its mission? Intended? Dude, isn't there this vast storage of information out there that we we have devices we can use to access and answer questions like this? I keep, I keep telling you, you guys are my aviation wiki. Right? This is why we get together so that I can ask you questions about. Well, this the airplane was used by NASA to test ideas in lifting body uh, aircraft. That is, if if you look, it doesn't really have horizontal wings. It's got almost three rudders, if you will, the upswept tips and then a centerline rudder, uh, and no other lifting surfaces. It's all, the whole body is a lifting surface, and that was a predecessor uh, in the design progression that led to the space shuttle. Anybody home? now um yes we're recording yeah i know i don't know what happened all right um so one of those groups that i've been trying to piss off this whole episode apparently got some sort of revenge um and you know nsa or or irs it was a female uh agent at the nsa yeah, I'm sorry. Say again, Jeb. There's a, fema- a female uh, analyst at the NSA. Finally yeah. had en- had enough. I know, huh? They couldn't take it anymore. Where did you lose me? I was talking about this list of uh, funky airplanes. Yeah, and I heard you talk- replying to me about the uh, the lifting. Yeah, you're you're asking all these questions about the Northrop HL-10, and my comment was a variation on: in this day and age, it's a shame. We don't have some device connected to some vast network of information where you could click on something and find out the answers. I, you know, and I keep saying that um, I have a better solution. I have a better system, which is asking my two uh, knowledgeable aviation friends. Um, it's a weird list of airplanes. Uh, I mean, it's not. It's it's an interesting list. Some of them are a little bit more weird, but they're not crazy weird. This is. I'm just jumping through the list here. There's a. Uh, the Martin XB-51, which is a little unusual, but not terribly. Uh, there's the. I, I don't uh, think I've ever seen engines mounted a fuselage like that. Yeah, they're really kind of right underneath. They're, they're attached to the fuselage right underneath the wing root. And, uh, um, that, oh, it's got to be. It's got to be a real And it looks like a trijet. Yeah, yeah, it does. It looks like a trijet because it looks like there's also an engine up there um, at the base of the... Uh, well. Let's let's find out about that. Let's rather than say looks like or or could be or or maybe maybe we should look at the internet to tell us what the answers to these questions are. <laughs> it was indeed working. fitted according to Wikipedia, <laughs> indeed working. fitted with three General Electric J47 engines. Well, there you go. Does it say what it was all about? What was its mission? What was it did it actually the, go the, into service or The B in the type designation tells you that it was a bomber. Yes, okay. The X tells you that it was experimental. So it was an experimental bomber. Okay. Wikipedia See. says there were two manufactured, two I'm built. Gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. I, I think, David, I think we, could keep, we should keep this guy around. Uh, Dornier DO31 is a little, has funny wing, funny tip tank things. Dornier. You said Dornier. Yeah, but I can't pronounce it. We, we've already established. Uh, I know. I, I know. I'm right. just. I'm just yanking chains. At this yeah, I know. Point. Uh, it had that, fun- that airplane was designed by the same guy that drew Pinocchio. Yes. Yeah, yes. it's got this yes. really strange. Uh, 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 what's the proboscis? Proboscis, right? Yeah, I was going to call it something <laughs> a little more 
scientific, but yeah, that's a good word for it. Uh, twin engine, uh, high wing, uh, has a ca- sort of canopy, um, you know, view screen thing that puts me in mind of a, of a B29. Yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah, so it's it's great. what are those swing tips all about? I don't know. It's too bad there isn't some way we could look it up. I know. Line. I know. I, I, I'm just trying to do a little roll reversal here. All right. Okay. You're going to get me to do this here. If I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, and then this, and, uh, and it takes me over here to the dorm. Dor- say it one more time. Dornier? Dornier. Dornier. DO-31, Experimental Vertical Takeoff and Landing Jet Propelled Transport, uh, designed and produced by West German aircraft manufacturer Dornier. Uh, Really? Vito. uh, Yeah. Motivated. Those pods, yeah, those wing wing tips had jet engines in them? I guess so. So maybe it's not a twin. Maybe it's a quad. It's a multi-engine airplane. Yes. Yes. I think so, it must rotate. How else are they going to get a vertical takeoff? Look, scroll down, and it's got four Rolls-Royce RB162 lift engines in each wingtip nacelle. In the, so it's so it's a six-engine jet. They're all. I would call it uh, a ten-engine ten engine jet. Wait a minute. So, oh yeah, right. Ten. It's a deck. It's a. It's a. Okay. A deck. Deck ten. I don't know. What would you call it if it's if a two engine is a twin and three is a tri? What I'd call it complicated. Yeah, I know. Huh? So that's the Dornier. You sure Dornier? Because Dornier doesn't sound very German to me. Dornier sounds French. It's uh, German. I, I, I get that the airplane's German. The word Dornier doesn't sound okay. All right. What's next here? Uh, <laughs> uh, our old friend the Belfajor. Yes. Uh, yes. Is, we talked about that on a previous episode. Yeah, uh, why did we talk about it? What's that? Why did we talk about it? One, it one of probably, the reasons. It was on another one of these weird airplane lists. As I yeah, it could have been. But but what what it do we know cro- about it? Was does, like, does it popular culture tell, tell us something about this airplane? I think we discovered at the time that it was a crop duster of some sort. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, keep going. That those funky things between the, the dual wing, between the bi wings, are, are tanks that hold, you know, whatever Hoppers. Hoppers, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We've got the McDonald XF-85 Goblin. There should be more airplanes called Goblins. That's a good name. I, I, I said, reading ahead a little bit a few minutes ago, I'm thinking, I'm not sure I'd want to fly anything named a Goblin. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a good, I don't know, it's a good name. Um, I, 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 I quite frankly don't see how this airplane flies. All right? I, it just doesn't seem like it's, you know, maybe a little significant application of power. It's, it's got a monstrous fuselage. It's got stubby little wings and even stubbier little sort of empanadas kinds of uh, surfaces and uh, I, I don't quite alright see Jeb's going to make me look this one I'm not going to do it I'm not saying a word no. now yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done D-U-N done right. yeah, now we're looking up the we're looking up the goblin here uh, the uh, McDonnell XS XF so X is experimental what's F it's a fighter fighter, fighter. really uh, the McDonnell, again, Wikipedia, the XF-85 Goblin American prototype, fi- prototype fighter aircraft conceived during World War II, intended to deploy... F- oh, it's intended to deploy from the bomb bay of a giant Convair B-36 bomber as a parasite fighter. I never heard that term before, a parasite fighter. That's better than Goblin. Um, it's intended to defend bombers from hostile interceptor aircraft... Uh, 
and uh, they built two prototypes before the Air Force terminated the program. Does it say they actually flew? That's what I want to know here. Does, uh, uh, I think they did, in fact, drop it from... Well, I, but that's different than having it fly, you see. Well, kind of, sort of, it's all about control and landing. Uh, operational history. Uh, wind tunnel testing at Moffett. They tested it at Moffett, my, my beloved um, central Silicon Valley uh, peninsula of the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, was accident. Wait a minute. During wind tunnel testing at Moffett Field, California, the first prototype XF-85 was accidentally dropped from a crane at a height of 40 feet, causing substantial damage to the forward fuselage air intake and lower fuselage. That makes perfect the, sense. The second prototype had to be substituted for the remainder of the wind tunnel tests and the initial flight tests. So it says that there were initial flight tests. Uh, uh, the B-36 was unavailable. The flight tests were carried out using a converted uh, B-29, uh, EB-29B Superfortress, uh, cutaway bomb bay, complete with a trapeze, front flow. To, to the tra- I want to know about, I don't want to know about the B-29. I want, oh, wait a minute. But the, but the EB-29B was called a Monstro. Oh, there's some good airplane names here. I'm liking this. Uh, I want it. Where's it? Where do they talk about it actually being dropped out of the airplane? It's um, I don't know what section here. About two thirds of the way down in operational history. Yeah, and what does uh, it say? It says that they did test flights with it. They dropped it from the B twenty nine. The first test flights. This is this is going to come as a shocker to everybody, I'm sure. The first test flights revealed that turbulence during approach to the B twenty nine was significant. <laughs> leading to the addition of upper and lower fins at the extreme rear fuselage, as well as two wingtip fins. You notice they're not calling these winglets or, or other controls. They're just calling them fins. Okay. Yeah. As well as two wingtip fins to compensate for the increased directional instability in docking. So, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I, All right. That's a, so next in the list is the, uh, the SNECMA. The SNECMA Colt... Col- uh, Help me here. <laughs> no. Coleoptery. Cole- it's got this one's got to be French, right? It's like, uh, anyways, this is just like a. This is a, we've seen pictures of this airplane before. It's basically a. I don't know how to describe it. Um, I'm not sure this is an airplane, to be honest. Yeah, I know. It's uh, this is a sort of uh, vertical takeoff thing. It's a fuselage that points straight up to the sky um, on top of a larger fuselage section, which contains a, what seems to be center-mounted jet engine of some sort and it's got four big caster wheels and uh, okay we're going to skip that one uh the miles m 39b <laughs> oh, see here we go again <laughs> l-i-b-e-l-l-u-l-a labellula labellula no, that's i'm sure that's wrong uh interesting the airplane canard uh, uh wing on the front uh, twin propeller engines uh, uh, possibly piston. I can't quite tell. I'm not. Yeah, look like inline pistons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sort of uh, rear-mounted, if you will, uh, uh, main wings, and and then with uh, big wing-tippy kinds of vertical stabilizers on the ends of the wingtips, as well as a center-mounted vertical stabilizer. So that's kind of interesting. All right, this is my favorite, though. This is see, this is not a weird airplane. Somebody this, somewhere somewhere there is a Beach 18 missing its rudders. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, 
Scaled Composites Proteus. This is this is a sexy, beautiful airplane. I, I've always loved this airplane. We got to see it in person at Oshkosh a number uh-huh. of times. Um, this is just a elegant, beautiful airplane. Um, very Burt Rutani because it's designed by Burt Rutan. Um, and uh, um, you know, yeah, uh, this is just a great airplane. I love it. I, I, I look it up. I, I'm not going to even try and describe it. It's a beautiful airplane. I just think it's very elegant and. And, and sexy and uh, uh, scale composites Proteus, um, and uh, and then we and then from the beauty from the elegant and and, and wonderful Proteus we go to the Voigt V one seventy three flying fine flying pancake, uh, which looks like a, it doesn't look like a pancake to me it looks like the uh, uh, there, it's a sea creature that's that's a flounder a flounder a flounder yeah um, that that you see except it's got big big propellers um, on the Left and right of the uh, of the uh, yeah. yeah look at the le- look at the length of the main landing gear. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're not going to do too many wheel landings with those props. Yeah, really. Uh, the Edgeley Optica is an airplane we visited with before, um, which I think is a cool looking airplane. It's uh, seen it at uh, Sunnet Fun one year. Did you really? Yeah, we yeah. probably talked about that. I would have loved to see this in person. I don't know whether there's I think any... it was before our time. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so it's got a kind of a bubble canopy kind of looks almost helicoptery. Um, on the front of a center-mounted engine of some sort with a great big ducted fan, um, also you know, kind of wrapped around the main fuselage with wings spreading out from that ducted fan. And then going back to a sort of looks like a dual tail with a crossover horizontal stabilizer on top kind of thing. Um, it's a cool-looking airplane. I, wouldn't, I would love to see it fly. That would be kind of interesting. Um, I don't know whether it's what its features are, but that's that's... Yeah, odd, but I wouldn't call it weird. Then, then we definitely have weird. Now we definitely have weird. The Stipa Caproni. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Try to describe this. One of you take the take a shot here. Flying beer keg. Flying beer keg. Okay. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah. Or or perhaps an, uh, an attempted flying beer keg. An attempted yeah. flying beer keg. The Nemeth Parasol, which is basically it looks like your basic. Uh, you know, a vintage biplane, but without the wings, and instead, it's got a great big. It's got a big. Fri- it's got a big frisbee on. It's top. It's got a big frisbee on top of it. That's kind of exactly what. Except it's not a frisbee that spins. It just has the lifting aspects of the of the frisbee. Because spinning uh, it would be a little bit much uh, for that era. Yeah, but yeah, that's how they. Uh, you know, that's how they get the radar to see in 360 degrees. Oh, it's not that kind of airplane. Never mind. I don't think these are weird airplanes. I mean, some of them are weird. They are weird. Some of them are elegant and beautiful. Um, there have been a lot of kinds of airplanes in the world, haven't there? It's like, I don't know. Anyways. And the most successful one ever so far is still the Cessna Skyhawk. It is. Although I came across an interesting piece of trivia the other day. Yeah. Uh, four airplanes, four airplane, military airplanes, four military airplanes that have been in service for 50 years or more. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know two of them right off the top. Okay, what are those? C-130 and B-52. Yes, those are the easy ones. Now yeah. you, now it gets harder. Okay. okay. Uh, um, in, I'm gonna define have, I, in service. Uh, I, I was looking at this this morning, and I... So the Wikipedia that I found referred to five that were still in service, but then it also said this is from 2007. And since then, one of them has... Uh, let's see if I can find this again here... So, uh, 
in the in the in the 130 page, it describes the C-130. It became the fifth aircraft to mark 50 years of continuous service with its original primary customer. Um, and uh, so, at one point, there were five, um, but one of those has since been retired. Uh, and I don't know if that answers your question, Jeb. But uh, without additional details on you know sort of things like what types we're talking about no it doesn't answer my question i think we're talking well, we're obviously talking mainstream if they've been around 50 years and we're talking about military well which are the other which b52 c130 which are the other two though so question. the one that uh, is no longer in service but was as of 2007 that had reached 50 years was the uh, canberra the uh, english oh the yeah canberra. sure sure I, um, i'll throw another one uh, th- throw another one at you the uh1h huey ah okay uh, and that, no, that's that's a good addition to the list. I, I, they, I'm not sure whether they explicitly are talking about fixed-wing aircraft or not, but uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. The other two, according to this entry in uh, Wikipedia, is the uh, Tupolev Tu-95, which uh-huh. is the bear bomber, um, and then the uh, KC-135 Stratotank. Of course, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, are according to this particular source, the four aircraft. Um, that uh, have been in service, that are in service now, that have been in service for over 50 years. There's a little bit of trivia for you. Another yeah. bar bet thing the, the, you can the earn. Canberra has mainly been relegated to high altitude research and weather observation and things like that. It's, yeah. I don't think it's well, still that's serving. the one that's out of service now, I believe. That, okay. That's, well, that's okay. the one that's But NASA still operates them, and, and I think um, uh, an Australian uh, governmental agency okay. still operates them also. Yeah, I think I looked at there was some. Yeah, you're, I, I believe you're you're right, Jeb. I agree. I, I think that there was some qualification there that made yeah. it fall out of the fifty year thing. It's, it's not its not its primary purpose. Something like and, that. And yeah. that might be the the yeah. distinguishing. So, anyways, yeah. uh, what's going on, Jeb? How you doing? What's what's up? How's the snow shoveling down there? The snow shoveling down here is pretty much non-existent. Yeah, okay. Good yeah. For you. Glad yeah. To hear it. It's been. Uh, we've actually had some decent weather here over the last week or so. Um, it's kind of chilly in the mornings, but it gets up to 70, 75 in the afternoons. Low humidity, uh, few clouds in the sky. It's good, it's good flying weather, and I've been trying to take advantage of some of that. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, you seem to be flying with a friend of ours recently. Yes, I, uh, Amy, uh, Amy Labota, friend of the podcast, and that was my way of giving you a chance of whether you wanted to reveal. Yeah, that or not. no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, was that just for fun, or were you doing some currency? Doing stuff? Doing some or? currency stuff, uh, trying to clear some cobwebs out after some extended downtime. Had a great afternoon. Um, really, really appreciate Amy's indulgence and and patience and uh, uh, yeah and and skills and and uh, uh, experience and, and helping me get through some things. Yeah, I'm sure you know how lucky you are because uh, one of the real benefits of living down in that area would be being able to fly with Amy. Absolutely, um, in, Absolutely. in a training environment. I, yeah. I, I I've I, I haven't really ever done that, um, and uh, I would I would value that. That would be really yep. great. Um, so yeah. So th- uh, thank you, thank you, Amy. And uh, got you know, getting as the, as time goes on, getting more and more things sorted out with the airplane after uh, all the downtime and, yeah. and uh, work and whatnot. So um, starting to to uh, make some progress there. And uh, yeah. Uh, now we talked about the refurb aspects of what you did to the airplane. Did you make any changes? Changes or um, did you just kind of like you know, like I said, you you did the engine and that's yeah. Did the engine? I had. Uh, uh, last year's annual, last year's annual, at uh, the 2000, uh, excuse me, the 20, 
19 annual. Thank you. Um, I sent out some things for um, uh, what I call an IRAN, inspect repair as necessary. Uh, sent the prop out, sent the exhaust out, things like that. Um, the, the new engine installation, uh, reused the old baffles and the vacuum pump, which is a wet pump, and the alternator, and I think everything else has been uh, um, refurbed, re- overhauled, replaced, irand or something like that. New hoses, um, new everything under the cowling, basically. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, yeah, I've done some refurbishment. Uh, but from the standpoint of um, new avionics or interior or paint or something like that, no. I didn't, I didn't touch those things. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Um, anything else going on in your world? You uh, keeping busy? I uh, just getting geared up for the uh, to produce the March issue of Aviation Safety March. Magazine. So winter's almost over. Winter's almost over, and we're almost we almost have to start worrying about uh, fierce crosswinds. Yeah. Okay. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right, uh, so last thing on the list here is, uh, I don't know whether this is, th- so uh, this is a story from, oh, it's an AppWeb story, um, and they were reporting on a study that they came across. Um, the headline is, Study Finds Pilots' Brains Work Differently. <laughs> Go figure. Which, like, which I mean, is like the the non-news story of the decade. I know, right. But apparently the scientists have discussed... So I'm just going to read the first graph here, part of the first graph. Medical science has now confirmed what your family and friends have been telling you since the first time you strapped in, and maybe before that. Your brain works differently than that of non-flying folks. And contrary to what those in your immediate, immediate bubble might think, that's actually a good thing. Well, mostly. We write this in. This is Russ Niles. This is Russ. Uh, Chinese researchers have determined that the brains of pilots are wired differently to deal with the unique environment of the cockpit. And so, okay, I'm not going to go into too much detail unless you guys want to, but, um, um, I, 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 you know, both on a joking perspective and from a real perspective, I agree. This makes sense to me. Um, uh, uh, and I've talked about this. I don't know if I've talked to this on the podcast. But the question I want to ask you, well, first of all, do you have any comments about the study or the, the kind of seriousness of this, the serious aspects of this? Um, the Jeff, only, you're the safety guy. I mean, has this well, come the, up in the, in the safety world at all? Um, yes and no. It doesn't come up as, as in so many words. We don't look at uh, flying an aircraft as being something that demands a brain that's wired differently. Uh, and I would hasten to add that there have to be other activities operating um, a backhoe um, um, operating any complicated machinery has to involve I think um, many of the same um, parts of the brain Mm has to to have some of the same characteristics associated with operating an aircraft um, that's just logical to me. I don't have any evidence to support it, but you know, what's that's never stopped me in the past. Um, clearly, there are. Uh, how should I put this? Clearly, there are uh, uh, emotional and mental, uh, physiological components to the ability to, to, to operate an aircraft or any other complicated machinery. We all know of people who are f- 
completely normally functioning, but simply cannot um, meld together the skills of sensory apparatus, uh, planning, uh, whatever else, you, whatever other techniques or, or uh, characteristics we might want to uh, throw into the mix. Simply cannot master that combination of requirements necessary to, to fly an airplane. But at the same time, they're going to have trouble flying, you know, operating complicated machinery of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we all also know people who are masters or, or, or very skilled at complicated tasks like this, but maybe can't string together a single sentence to save their life. You know, yeah. so so there's there's variations. You know, viva la difference. We're all we're all different, and um, you know, welcome to the welcome to the club. Yeah, kind of thing. Where I wanted to go with this is um, something that I've talked about in the past, I th- probably on the podcast, because we've talked about everything three or four times on the podcast over the years. But um, the idea that, uh, that I hold very strongly, and that is that having gone through flight training, um, the things that I learned as a pilot um, that I apply in my regular life, um, the, the ways that being a pilot has changed me above and beyond the fact that I can fly. Um, and, and the example that I come, to, I, I bring up all the time, is the, is the whole subject of how I think about what you would generally call emergencies. Um, it, before my flight training, I think, I, you know, I mean, like the whole idea of something might go wrong, but I'll deal with it later on. You know, I mean, and I, it was only when I learned flying and learned the whole idea of preparing in advance, practicing in advance for an emergency that I, I find over the years that I, I regularly apply this to my regular life. I, in, in almost any situation, I feel a need to think through not only what might go wrong, but what might I do if it goes wrong. All right, what, what are the steps that I would take if it goes wrong? And, and this is largely a, you know, a benign you know, uh, uh, behavior. Sometimes it makes me a little stressed out because I'm so, you know, like, I've got to figure this out. What am I going to do? I, you know. and, but, by the way, once I kind of come up with my, my emergency procedures for my everyday things, I feel better. All right? um, uh, but that's has changed me. And I attribute this to having learned how to fly. The idea that you think through emergencies in advance. You don't just wait for them to happen. Yeah. I'm curious if you guys, I'm sorry, you're going you're gonna to respond. No, I'm to gonna, I'll let you finish. I just want to know, though. I mean, have, have, are there things that you think, and, I, and you guys have been flying well, a lot longer than me, actually. Um, are there, but, but do you remember, are there things that you did differently before and since you've learned how to fly that you apply now to your everyday life? That's my question. Yes mm. and no. Yeah. Um, I I, I want to before I answer your question, and Dave, feel free to jump in anywhere. I, I, before I do that, though, I want to point out that um, an orderly um, thought process um, isn't um, uncommon in, among non-pilots. Okay, uh, I call it engineering brain, for lack of a, of a better word or a better frame of reference. Uh, but the 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 type of, of thought process that um, leads one to consider the ramifications of uh, an action and the reactions to expect, and uh, it's, it's not like you know hold my beer kind of thing. Uh, watch this. 
it's more a matter. Okay, I want to do X. You know, see if I jump on this this uh, uh, this teeter totter, uh, and the, it's up, and there's a, uh, an anvil on the other side. Um, what's going to happen when I jump on this teeter totter, the seesaw, and the anvil goes flying? Could it fall on top of me like it does uh, on the Roadrunner cartoons? Okay, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Being able to <laughs> being able to visualize the consequences of what you're doing is kind of an important uh, uh, um, life capability. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I certainly learning to fly and becoming a pilot um, will help you organize and order the various steps of things that you need to do uh, whether it's via use of a checklist or just the the mental gymnastics sometimes required to stay ahead of the airplane uh, what comes next when you're approaching the airport to land well you got to do this you got to do that you got to do the other thing some of that may or may not be covered by uh, a checklist per se okay um Clearly, you know, any again, I come back to any complicated task or any complicated machinery or something like understanding how to work such, uh, how to perform such tasks is, is obviously going to result in some additional order to your ways of thinking. Um, the extent to which that's easy, the extent to which it's hard, I again come back to calling that engineer brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether you have an engineer brain or don't have an engineer brain is is um, you know kind of the luck of the draw but um it's something that we all consider i think in our daily lives whether we learn to fly or not yeah how about you david are there elements of your flight training that you apply to your regular life kind of the other way around really for, for me for example and, and, and elements of riding a motorcycle that I uh, found useful uh, when I was learning to fly hang gliders. Uh, looking ahead, thinking ahead, where where am I going to be in two minutes if I do this? Where would I be if I don't do this? Uh, really useful when trying to uh, jump over a mountain back to go cross country. Uh, being able to decipher what would be the uh, outcome if I crossed at this altitude versus if I waited and tried to get higher and maybe blew it all together. That was stuff that I was doing on motorcycles in in self-defense against other traffic, trying to ride two blocks ahead of where I actually was, Mm -hmm. watching the traffic uh, way out there very often gave me time to avoid what would have been an unfriendly out encounter mm-hmm. and uh and then when I started learning to fly airplanes uh, or ultralights actually uh there was a whole new element that added to it, and that was an engine, and I found that the uh, habits that I learned in uh motorcycles and hang gliders were really useful when I was flying ultralights uh, and later light airplanes uh, in the uh, what if category what if the engine dies here where would I land Mm -hmm. which way would I go is that dot out there 
getting bigger? Is it a bug spot on the windshield, or is it moving across my field of view, which means we won't be running into one another? If it's right. just if it's just getting bigger, like traffic on the on the road, that guy coming at you who's passing against the double yellow lines, yeah, you want you you want to pay attention to that, and you, you want to be ready to maneuver out of the way. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of cross pollination there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, and, and Dave's motorcycle early motorcycle years were different from mine. My mo- early motorcycle years were spent saying, "All right, if I do this, um, am I going to just break my arm, or am I going to be in traction for the next couple of weeks?" And, and, and <laughs> so it's risk management. It, it, it's it's all risk management. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Well, thank you, guys. It's always fun. It's uh, uh, great to get together, and um, we're going to have to do it again sometime. But uh, um, thank you to to both of you, uh, those voices out there. Uh, Jeb Burnside uh, is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications online. You can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. And his magazine is on Twitter as AvSafetyMag. You can also find Jeb's work at AEA.net and AvWeb.com. And on Twitter, he's BurnsideJ. And Dave Higdon's an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at AvBuyer.com, at AEA.net, and on Twitter, he's Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most of the usual places with the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube slash Jack Hodgson, Patreon slash Jack Hodgson. You can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section, and you can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. Hey, David, was there something you were going to tell us? Well, history was made when... The United States inaugurated its first woman vice president. And if you'd like to hang around long enough to see what comes four years from now, go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And in keeping with our final topic this this morning, this afternoon, this evening, never let the airplane take you somewhere your brain didn't get to five minutes earlier. There you go. I like that. So Moorabbin is the major training aerodrome in Victoria, and we sit about five nautical miles southeast of the edge of Melbourne's airspace. We're very lucky in the fact that we're surrounded by GE airspace, and you can depart Moorabbin without speaking to Melbourne, but you really want to give them a wide berth. It's, there's a lot of activity going on, and with Essendon co-located with Melbourne, you know, there's a lot of training aerodromes and training flights that also pass through that airspace. Hi, Jack Dave and Jen. I continue to mispronounce the name of a town in the outskirts of Melbourne, in Victoria, called Moorabbin. Like moo, like a cow says, and then rabbin, like you're going to say rabbit, and then change the T to an N. Don't linger on the moo part too long. Moorabbin. <laughs> <laughs>